Firstly, I just want to say a massive thank you for everybody who's joining me today. Uh, so we're going to be discussing um, the topic driving a data-driven company in 2022. Um, so yeah, before we go ahead and get started in the questions, if everyone would like to introduce themselves, that'd be lovely. Uh, if Christian, you'd like to go first, that'd be great. Yes, thank you, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, my name is Christian. I am an engineer, both by education and by heart. Uh, I'm from a scale up in Copenhagen called Value.ai. We build a data-driven innovation workflow matching you know, startups and corporations. So fits very well into what we both try and do internally, but also what we promote uh, as a solution. I work with um, data scientists on a daily basis. Uh, I am a big fan of the scientific method. Actually, if I ever had to get a tattoo, it would be nullius in verba, which is this Latin uh, slogan for the Royal Society of, uh, you know, a scientific society. So I think I'm on the right podcast. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I love that. Thank you very much, Christian, for that introduction. Um, is Rasmus, if you'd like to go first, that'd be lovely. Yeah, sure. My name is uh, Rasmus. Uh, so uh, I have a, a background uh, in, in uh, computer science and, and been working in the IT industry for the last uh, yeah about 20 years, 25 years, and uh, been in many different companies throughout the years. Uh, and, and basically sort of... Um, my sort of what, what I really enjoy is sort of being uh, you know at the at the forefront of technology, disruptive technologies, and trying to apply it to the business side and 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 sort of addressing some of the issues that might occur in that in that process. Uh, and basically, I'm working as a CTO in 2021.ai, uh, and I'm also uh, part of a, a lot of other smaller initiatives. But but um, but um, as a CTO for 2021.ai, it's a the challenges are. Uh, you know, to be able to develop our our, uh, our software platform uh, uh, and and sort of propel that forward in terms of uh, in terms of uh, AI development and AI testing and also AI governance. And then the other side is is that we have uh, consultancies that are doing uh, that are doing. Uh, Helping our customers to to get up to speed on that. Uh, so uh, and then on 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 the side, you can say that I'm also a part of the ISO uh, standardization community, uh, working with the uh, standardization within AI governance and AI in general. Uh, so that's uh, I think that's it for me. No, lovely. Thank you very much for the, for that introduction as well, Rasmus. And um, last but certainly not not least, uh, Malin, if you'd like to go next, that'd be lovely. Yes, uh, hi, and thank you for thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, um, so my my name is Marlene, and um, my background is in in finance and economics. Uh, but I fell very early on in my career into the technological melting pot. So I've been covering uh, the tech industry as an industry analyst, um, counting like ports on networks, uh, and then covering um, the tech industry more uh, on a macroeconomic uh, side of things and uh, business side of things and tech side of things. And um, throughout that, uh, my, my career, I've, I've evolved doing more and more data myself uh, and uh, growing a lot of uh, basically um, sites and and uh, readerships and on, on, on the media side uh, as the media industry went more and more digital. So uh, both covering the tech industry and uh, getting my hands dirty with data stuff, uh, which I really like. Uh, so if, if I'd say I'd, if I had a, a passion to, to talk about, then definitely data is one of them. I love to see patterns. Uh, and uh, I think data gives you a lot of um, good patterns to see, uh, which are very interesting to develop and grow. Um, and that's beside um, mountaineering <laughs> which is a bit more down to earth <laughs> so uh, and and my my last position was uh, at a financial publication in sweden called realtid where i was both head of uh, feature and news and uh, head of ai and data um, developing uh, basically uh, uh, the data driven side of product development but also internal processes using data so that's that's me. <laughs> Lovely. No, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for that introduction. Um, no, th and thanks again, everyone, um, for for joining me today. I think it's going to be a really great discussion with everybody that we've got involved. Um, so I'll go ahead now and jump in into the uh, into the questions. Uh, so Marlene, this is your um, your question first. Um, so what are the potential hurdles to creating a cultural buy-in for? Uh, 
buy-in for a data-driven growth. So if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question and then I'll let everybody jump in with their answers. Yeah, I, I, I think I've, I've had the, um, uh, the chance to, um, to actually um, face that, that challenge myself in, in different companies because I've worked a lot with both um, data-driven native companies, uh, startups and scale-ups, uh, as I've, I've done a lot of consulting with those companies. I've covered them, but I've also worked with them and also initiated grants uh, at the uh, European Commission level uh, for these companies. Uh, and, and on the other side, uh, uh, working with more traditional companies, uh, um, migrating towards a data-driven mindset. So, for example, the, the, I've been working a lot in the media industry, where many, many of the processes and many, many of the thinkings have been, uh, maybe there is a lot of data, but it hasn't been used as the primary source of um, basically a way of driving the business. Uh, and I've seen different, uh, sorry for the long background, but I've seen different hurdles. Uh, one, on the one hand, uh, with um, uh, data-driven native companies, if I may call them like that, um, maybe um, a, a culture that thinks that data can solve everything and maybe that uh, it's, it's, it's a bit uh, easy to forget that uh, the intuition or the human person behind the data or the, the, all the people bringing the data to life or, or, or building algorithm and they all have an impact on what the data will be and, and what type of data you can have as an output. And then, so th that could be a hurdle. And then on the traditional side of things, then that would be the different thing. would be like, oh, are we releasing all the power, power to the data? What's going to happen to us? Are we useless, you know? And, and I think that that could create a, a lot of insecurities. Uh, so I think it's kind of interesting having seen both sides, like maybe an over belief in data and, uh, and, and then another belief in human. Uh, I think the right balance, if I may answer my own question, is, is maybe in between. But I think there is a, it would be interesting to hear what Rasmus and Christian have to say if they have witnessed that and how, how, how I mean, if they, if they see uh, that challenge in their day-to-day -day work as well, if they have seen that. Um, uh, but that, that's, that's the background of the question. That was a long background. <laughs> um, do you want yeah. to, do you want to, to take the ball, maybe. Uh. <laughs> well, I, I can I can maybe chip in here. So so, and I, I completely agree with you, uh, agree with you, Melina. Right, that that I, I think uh, at least what I'm seeing, and and I've been with a, a lot of customers uh, around uh, data and, and and AI development. And I think one of the challenges is that a lot of the companies out there are pretty siloed. So so there's a, a number of different you know uh, departments, and each department handles its own data. But typically what the companies forget is that there is synergy to be made across the different uh, departments and, and the parts of the organization. Uh, and there, there's, uh, you know, there, there's a few ways that I've seen that uh, sort of addressed in the companies. One way that these companies are doing it is that they are creating, you know, one, uh, you know, cross sector department that is handling, uh, you know, data uh, or, or data driven innovation or, or whatever you want to call it. But, but basically collaborating across different data sources and making sure that that the data across the different uh, uh, places in the organization are, are, are well utilized. So, so that's that's like one uh, way to, to, to solve it by making a, a centralized cross-sector uh, 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 group. Another way that I've seen it organized is also that that is still sort of a independent uh, organizations, but that they are collaborating and, and uh, valuing uh, uh, sort of the data throughout a, a, a common repository of some sort, where there's a sort of a technical way to to exchange data with. Uh, so, so, so I think that's uh, that's at least for, for me some of the, the the ways that you can sort of uh, uh, address this in your organizations. Um, uh, 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 you know, and 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 then there, I guess I guess there's variations across this. I don't know if you want to add on to that, Chris. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah, and I agree on on both perspectives. It's I think I think I don't think it will be much disagreement around the table. But uh, I think from the from the cultural buy-in or the hurdles here, one which which kind of answers both sides of being a native data or a, you know an experience-based or a traditional approach is is the whole the black box of what happens or the the non-human intelligence well now of course it becomes a little ai but it's still you have a lot of data you find a, a result from it uh, somehow if it's statistics or whatever it is 
Um, and I think the black box can either be frightening or very appealing, but both can be a problem that you either push it away or you embrace it no matter what. So it becomes that whole approach where if you are pro the approach, you say, as long as it comes from the back black box, it's perfect and that has its negatives. And then on the other side, if it comes from a black box, I don't want to listen to it because I have experience and I know what to do and I, all that stuff. So I kind of see that it's the, it, it's the understanding because we can easily have the buy-in or on paper, it's great to be data-driven or it's a little frightening, but if it makes sense, then I'll do it. But then when it comes to culture, it's, it's that it, it's ingrained in the organization. And that's difficult to happen if both, you know, from both perspectives with this black box. So we need to unpack it somehow, whether or not it's a trust in how it works or it's a, you know, education or it's, you know, understand the limits and the potentials of it. So that's, that's kind of where I see the biggest uh, hurdle happening. Yeah, maybe just adding on to that, I think one of the ways that this can be handled right in terms of culture or acceptance is, uh, so what I've seen across uh, different solutions, it depends a little bit on what kind of way you're using this data, but one example could be that, uh, you know, you implement uh, improved uh, support routing within the company where all the messages, they are analyzed by an LLP engine and then they're routed to the right place. That kind of solution, you know, uh, can either be sort of uh, sort of fully automated, so there's no humans involved, but it can also, uh, you know, have the capability of a sort of, um, uh, of, of a human in the loop kind of process where uh, you're, and, and I find some of these processes are, are well fitted for a human in the loop kind of process where there, there is a, there's an interaction as, as long as there's an interaction, one of the solutions there might be, you know, to provide uh, explanations to why the black box is, is providing a specific answer. So saying that, well, you know, this particular message should be routed to last and the reason for it to be routed to last is because it contains the words this and this and this and this. And that makes it a, something that you can understand and you can relate to as a person. And maybe you can even correct it right like provide some feedback mechanism to the to the to the to the models and the data so you can basically say well you know actually Lars is not the best one maybe you should go with uh, with Marlene instead right so so then it becomes a, a better better approach over to you Marlene yeah I was thinking of reacting on things that you both said and and, and thinking that somehow um uh, there is some education to be uh, uh, to be given or, or some communication that that must be uh, that must be happening uh, and, and what I, I could see could work for example in a more traditional uh, uh, setting um, that basically as you said uh, initially that there are still very many silos in companies and uh, having a, a, a cross uh, a, a cross organization uh, could be could be something that, that 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 is very helpful but I think that if you Maybe show the benefits um, um, in a very uh, in, in a very understandable understandable way, uh, as in oh, but very easy to understand KPIs or very uh, interesting um, takeouts or even even um, res results that you can show. This we were able to do thanks uh, thanks to data. Uh, thanks to this big, wonderful, mysterious black box. Uh, so somehow it has to be, this black box needs to be a black box somehow because of uh, privacy issues and all the data issues, but somehow it has to be transparent. That's a, that's a challenge too. But if you can explain the benefits um, in the organization um, in, a, in a very easy way, um, i.e. we have been able to do that thanks to that data. And if you are thinking about something you would do, probably we could translate it into an action that could give even more results. And on the other hand, uh, as you said, uh, Christian, that, that um, even humans should be, um, um, uh, should be put into the, into the equation as, 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 as in, oh, but these people have done that um, and they contributed to data actually giving more results. Uh, so somehow we, even if we are in a data-driven environment, uh, the people equation is really important and the communication equation is really important. Um, just a thought I had, but I thought, I, I saw that work anyway, but it's hard, <laughs> but it works and it gives results. So. It is. Uh, yeah, Rasmus, do you want 
to add to that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I completely agree with you, right? Setting up the right uh, KPIs, uh, especially in a cross-organizational setup, is is extremely important. Uh, and 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 providing also transparency over the way that these uh, these algorithms are working, right? Uh, that's an, a very important step uh, towards. Uh, what we call disclosure, which uh, some some uh, companies out there are talking more and more about, right? So so imagine an com- uh, insurance company, right? Uh, in an insurance company, you have two important processes. You have the sales process, which is selling the insurance, and then you have the claims process, which is claiming the insurance if you have an accident or so forth. And that's the only two processes. So it's pretty simple from an insurance perspective. But if you think about it, then what the insurance companies want to want to ensure is that they that their users and their their customers understands uh, you know the process that they have to go through in a claims process, and their transparency is extremely important. And especially if there are automated uh, processes in in that step, right? Like uh, people are being denied of their claim because they are you know uh, of a certain uh, you know of, of some of some of their uh, you know the way that. That, that their life we put together. So 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 really that that means that uh, uh, that transparency becomes key to uh, to, uh, to to the business side, right? To to becoming uh, bigger and and growing and 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 getting more business and setting up the right KPIs as well. In terms of uh, you know if we if we talk about the claims process again, who gets denied, who doesn't, and uh, and 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 are they are they in some some way unhappy about it or whatever, right? Is is it probably important KPIs? Uh, for, for a company like that, right? So, so again, uh, I, I agree that the relationship between the KPIs, the transparency, and explainability is, is very important aspects. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it makes sense. No, that's that's great. Thank you very very much for that. Well, I suppose that um, um, leads us on quite nicely as well to um, Malin's second question as well that that you mentioned uh, for this as well is how technically influenced does one need to be to lead a data-driven business now it's definitely interesting to hear the different points of views from uh, from this on with everybody's different backgrounds and that sort of thing as well that we've got on the podcast um, today um, so yeah I'll open that up with the group uh, Malin, do you want to give a bit of background behind this question as well yeah, I can give a bit of background. But the, as I said, I've, 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 I've been working more and more with data, but I'm not an engineer. Um, having said that, uh, I've, I've worked with mathematics and economics and statistics and, uh, and then tech uh, and di- digitization, which I've, I've, I've been uh, following basically the whole way uh, up until today. Uh, and, and I've ended up uh, working in a field where uh, many people who have had the same roles as the one I've had uh, have been engineers or, you know, they have, have had a, a data background. And, and I feel that the, the different uh, profiles are providing different things. Um, uh, but I've always felt like, oh, can I do that job? <laughs> and and, and uh, somehow I've managed to do it, uh, but probably not in the same way, I guess. Um, but it would be for me. It would be interesting to hear what you think about uh, generalists doing um, uh, data jobs because I've, I've been um, basically somehow, some, so, somehow, when you are not uh, uh, a data engineer to start with, maybe you uh, you you navigate a little bit uh, blindly, uh, but you find ways and then you learn and and you find uh, things that are coming from your non-data background to put into the data. Uh, having said that, I've worked a lot with data myself because uh, I've always worked with, with math and, 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 and statistics. But that's kind of different types of data now uh, that we're working with. Um, so that, that, that's the background of, of, of my question. Um, and I'm more curious about what you have to say about it, to be honest. <laughs> yes, I think I can jump in and, and start with that. Um, I'm actually not the most technically fluent, at least not when I think if I compare to Osmos, I don't have a background in, in programming. I took a different path into, uh, and while I'm still an engineer in product development and, you know, understand my fair share of statistics and, and love it, I probably shouldn't be put in front of the the, the core uh, production environment or anything like that. Um, but there is an, an, you know, a necessary minimum, I would say, but that goes to an entire digital organization. If you work in marketing or if you work in finance or if you work in, so I think there is almost a 
we all need a, a certain level. Um, but for a for leading it, it's you know, do you have that? It, it's more of an analytical and an open approach. If you're very um, driven by experience, uh, you could also do that. Even if you are a programmer, you've done it one way, or you prefer one language, or you you know have one perspective, and you only want to use this code set or whatever it is, then you will also be unfit for a data-driven business because if a new set of data or approach or findings or, or you know then then opinions and experience needs to you know move away when we learn something new so it's a it's a lot more from my perspective on leaning it you know framing it to yes you need to have a minimum amount of technical fluency but from there it's uh, are you are you open for you know uh, facts <laughs> or learning uh, and as long as you are that and able to adjust then just like you Malina I have survived so far <laughs> and I hope to continue. Yeah and just adding to that question I, think, uh, I completely agree with you right I don't, I don't think there is any necessity for, for, for being able to program I think there is a necessity to understand the technologies that you're working with right I think that's a, that's a really important thing and I think it's one of the things that are, a lot of people out there are sort of neglecting is that they're not uh, continuing their education after they're, they're done uh, with the university, right? Uh, so, so, so keep learning about new technologies all the time because otherwise, uh, you know, you, you will not be able to, to keep up. And that's what I see with, if I help people out there that have been stuck in the same company for, for 15 or 20 years, and they're sort of uh, stuck in some old technology and they, they, they don't really know how to get out of that. And I think that's a really crucial point because especially in the data science realm, uh, you know, there is there's new libraries every day, and there's new methods of doing things, and there's deep learning, and there's reinforcement learning, and so on. That's just so much, so many types of algorithms and and ways to handle and work with data today, and just keeping up with that is uh, is almost a full time job. So, yes. so I think it's, it's really important. And I think another thing is that um, uh, when it comes to uh, you know, specific types of models, uh, you know, like, you know, you, you can probably uh, find uh, applications and models out there that where, where you pretty easily can pull in the, the data and you can do some stuff with it. But if you really want to be like cutting edge, then I, I, I also recommend that you hire somebody on uh, that that comes from a data science education of some sort. Uh, so, so, so get get the uh, professional people in at least to take the first couple of steps, and then from there on you can uh, uh, you can you can sort of uh, 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 take take it as 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 it goes along. And I think that's an important thing because um, you know if if you think about it, there's uh, there's a lot of things that can go wrong uh, when you're analyzing a data set, right? For example. Uh, let's say that you're analyzing a data set where you're looking at uh, um, uh, the um, that we can take the claims process again and uh, and let's say that there's uh, some parameters around that um, uh, you know that there, that there are certain people that are that are uh, doing the same claim over and over again and that the reason for that might be uh, you know totally separate from uh, from another thing so so really being able to distinguish the data from the algorithm and vice versa can be a challenge somehow. So, so I think uh, sometimes you, you need to to have some uh, professional people. They don't necessarily need to have to code, but at least work with uh, with data on, on a on a day to day basis. And then on top of that, there's all the you know no coding, low coding tools, which are very easy to uh, to accommodate and work with. Uh, you know, even for, for people that that cannot program. Can I jump in? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I'm um, um, reacting to what you both said and and what you just said, Rasmus. And I I. I I feel that um, uh, there is um, maybe maybe there is a new type of leadership which is at play and and which requires I think as you said uh, if you are not technical yourself you need to understand mm -hmm. what the technical side is and you need to make sure that uh, the people on your team who are on the data side um, they're actually keeping up to date and that you help them uh, keeping up to date because when you are running the data team you won't have the possibility to keep up to date completely yourself. So you have to make sure that you can lean on people who can get updated all the time and that you understand uh, what they need to actually um, provide the data that you that you want. And I think as well, then you have to uh, uh, ask something as well that I think you, you mentioned, Christian, but uh, at the same time, understand what the business needs 
from the data, why is the data needed for the business, and maybe uh, maybe some 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 role, some sort of a translator role, <laughs> uh, an, an, an enabler uh, between the data side and understanding how it works and what you need to provide your team so that they can make a very good work, a very good job. And on the other, on the other hand, really uh, understanding the business needs and other people who are more generally so that you can, uh, going back to the buy-in, uh, make sure that um, um, everything that the data team is doing is actually un uh, understood and is valued. Um, so I, I have a feeling that actually the, 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 the data role encapsulates pretty much the new type of uh, workforce and leadership that is you don't necessarily know everything but you know where to find it and you know who does and you rely on them uh, doing their best basically uh, and you enable them to do that uh, is, is how I see that's, that's how it has worked for me anyway when it has worked some other times it hasn't worked so well but when it has worked that's that's what what happened i think that that's where the magic happened um, yeah. Yeah, maybe just adding to that Marlene, uh, I, 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 I agree here and i think one of the ways that i've seen this happen in companies is uh, for example to do these uh, kind of opportunity workshops right where you sit down in a group across you know both the leadership side but also uh, uh, you know uh, the uh, people doing the actual work is uh, is sort of collaborating across uh, and then saying, well, you know, this is the data that we have uh, and this is the solution that we want. And then in some cases, there's a match, right? In some cases, you can say, well, we have the right data. We can probably build this, right? And or buy somewhere. And in other cases, it's it's like, well, you know, we only have parts, parts of the data. So, so let's work on collecting, you know, these and these, these kinds of data sets. So we can eventually get to building a solution like this. And these kinds of workshops is very good as, as sort of building uh, a, a sort of uh, a common vision around a specific solution uh, in an area. And that's uh, something that we find is particularly important when it comes to AI projects, because as I normally frame it, you know, a, a machine learning project is more like it's a traditional IT project, and then you have something on top as well. <laughs> so, so, so it's all the traditional uh, problems that you have and then there's uh, another layer as well uh, which makes it even more complex so so you need to be to to select the stuff that is really uh you know easy to get started with right and the right the right sort of um container or the right place to start it in right if you don't have that initially then then you will also fail great thank you very much everyone for uh, for your inputs on on that question we'll move swiftly on now to um rasmus's question um so rasmus your question is what are the biggest challenges when transforming data into usable applications models and business decisions and how do these application models and business decisions impact the end user so if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question and then i'll open it up for the group yeah, so so <clears throat> what, what you know what, what we see on a, on a on a on a regular basis is that when we're working with our clients, uh, you know, typically uh, there there is a, a lot of work uh, involved in the actual data transformation, right? So you get in uh, the raw data through the different uh, processes that you have in the company. Uh, uh, you know, if it's a, a manufacturing company, for example, the, data, the amount of data transformation might be very big uh, and very very cumbersome, and maybe there there is data lacking. And I wanted to to hear you, uh, Christian and Malina, on on what kind of things that you have encountered in terms of data transformation. And then the next one is about uh, the impact on the uh, on the end users, particularly focused on uh, sort of applications that have some sort of impact uh, to users in terms of, uh, you know, either, you know, financial or uh, physical harm, for example, or it could be uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of inconveniences. Uh, so I, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about that uh, since, uh, since that's also some of my interest points. Uh, maybe if to, if you can start Christian. Yes, I'd love to. Thank you, Rasmus. I love the question. And uh, well, there's a lot to, to grab onto here. I think one of the main points is, especially if we include multiple stakeholders in the flow, is we when we talk from the data and the transformation, we don't really, we can't really depend on having indicators that work directly with the output. So we might have to translate it into something that suggests a certain output. Um, so it might, might not be as clear cut as we have, you know, three different parameters and they will all indicate to the same thing. And now we are happy days. 
where we might have to do, as you say, a lot of the uh, transformation into usable data. So at the very beginning, it's like, well, we might have data, we might have a lot of it, but it might be junk or you know unstructured and hard to figure anything out of. And there's a lot of things to do there before we even start thinking about AI and predictions or anything, uh, because no matter you know how, no matter how good your algorithm is, if you put bad data in, then that's going to be the same result. Um, uh, so that's that's one, and that's one of the challenges I also see when we, uh, you know, in our company or in you know in collaborations and all that. You know, why can't we do this with AI? Well, you know, let's start with the data and and talk from there. There's a lot of prerequisites to to solve, and I think that also has something to do with then for the end user. And uh, some of the things we face and we work with is uh, we work a lot with NLP and we work a lot with predicting and labeling. Uh, and sometimes we can't predict and label and we provide an empty or you know this value is not here and the user might be well, why can't you give me this value and the the answer would be well would you prefer a wrong value sometimes no value is also the right thing right because we don't have enough data it's not correct and therefore that is what you need so there's a something for our dear product team and our uxs to <laughs> explain and make people and users understand that we don't have the perfect picture and you have to accept that and if we did then we were actually doing something wrong uh, or we were yeah not not being honest um, and therefore it's that whole involving the users into that we have the same with our nlp where it's basically we can't give you a certain you know result but it will be you know close or somewhat and this might be better than the other one and maybe all of them are bad but that's the best we have and that's kind of the whole discussion and education we need to get around so so that's the you know sometimes there's no significant answer and sometimes no significant answer is a good or a correct answer and then we just have to live with that and that's both internally but also for the end user uh, from my perspective may i jump in yes uh, yeah yeah i i think you touched upon 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 that a little bit and i i think that's uh, one thing which is overlooked that um, basically uh, as you said you get the answer to the question you're asked uh, but then, uh, so how do you formulate your question? How, how do you get the data you want? Uh, but then there could be another challenge if your company is not data driven from the start, uh, is do you have the infrastructure to actually ask that very question? <laughs> uh, so, so I think that you, you can, you can go back, uh, you know, uh, even with simple, um, simple data sets that are, you know, uh, not, not, um, million, millions of, of, of data points, but just like. For example, if I take, um, uh, if you have a, a readership and you want to know, um, are we doing the right thing? Um, and, and what should we develop? What should we propose to them? Are we proposing the right thing? Then you, you, you really have to make sure, okay, uh, how do I get to know? Uh, I mean, which data point uh, will be the, the most interesting one? It's not the one that says, oh, they have read that. That's one thing. But how do I know how they got there? uh how long did they stay there were they happy after that or did just like went on somewhere else uh where did we lose them and 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 uh if if you haven't thought about that uh while building the infrastructure then you have to put it in place and think okay now i have it in place but how do i ask the question and when you get the data then maybe you are surprised by the answers mm. and that's another thing uh, i think that's an, uh, maybe something that could be overlooked is in and i think that uh, having worked as well with a lot of uh, startups and 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 were scaling up and i've i've seen that they were like getting some answers from then their, their their data um and they didn't like the answers they were getting uh and uh, then there's the question do you uh, i mean it's, it goes quite deep in the information in, in in the business it's just like okay we got this uh, did we ask the wrong questions or did, did we get the wrong answers the answers we didn't like to the right question and what do we do with it do we pivot do we change what we are doing or you know, uh, I, I think I think it's um, uh, what I'm getting at is that you have to be quite humble to um, towards the data you're gathering um, because you can never be sure uh, about the answer you're going to get. You can have a hunch. You can think, oh, we're going to ask that just to get that confirmed. But then there is your bias in that <laughs> uh, of what you want to get confirmed. So I think that's an, an overlooked issue. And, and I, I've seen that happen many times when you you actually um, uh put a a question out there with um, through data and the data you get is not exactly what you're expecting to get uh and what do you do with that? um so maybe i'm a bit on the side of the, of the question but I, I think that's a that's something that i've seen many times um and, and and many startups maybe thinking that no 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 we 
we had the right idea from the start. We just have to ask the question in a different way. <laughs> That's a risk. Yeah, and maybe uh, just following up on that. So, so I, I completely agree with you that that you know, you know, sometimes you have to look at the data and then conclude something else that you had originally had in mind, right? Um, and, th and that happens a lot of times, especially if you are sort of in the early stage of your your data driven. Uh, 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 maturity right and but uh, what i've also seen a little bit of tendency towards now um for maybe the more advanced companies is that they're saying uh, so we need some application or model where we need to have um where we need to be able to identify you know this thing and the processes or this particular image or whatever it is and then saying uh, can we generate the data for that model right so they're basically working with synthetic synthetic data generation to to uh, to build a model that fits the purpose better and uh, obviously you have to be a little bit careful about that because you will end up having a model which has a a bias that is skewed towards a specific direction uh, synthetically uh, and and that can be a good thing sometimes because uh, there are there are processes that only happens very rarely that you want to uh, sort of be able to uh, build a model that can detect uh, much easier. Uh, so maybe a question for you: uh, what, what do you think about the, about that trend around synthetic data generation? I uh, I'm actually interested in it, and I am I'm also skeptical. It's one of those where it's uh, yes, we can avoid the the bias or the problems with the outliers, but it's also one of those you know we start getting closer to you know overfitting or perfectly fitting something or you know skewing it to a normal distribution but it might not be a normal distribution or whatever you use because you would have to instruct it so basically it's a it's a chicken or egg uh, situation if you have a subset of data yes you can impose that on a bigger set of data but you don't know if that would actually be because then we're working with a sample and a bigger you know simulation to train from so it's one of those where it probably works but you won't really know until you then apply it and test and then you might be wrong so i would love it to work um, but i'm also a little hesitant around the, the opportunities. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm just, I was just thinking that maybe, uh, as you talked about the bias, that maybe we could, we could just call it a data confirmation bias risk, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, lovely. Well, just before we, uh, does anybody else have anything else to add to, um, to Rasmus's question just before we move on to Christian's question? Great. Well, I'll move uh, swiftly on to Christian's question now, um, which is what are the most overlooked and underprioritized success criteria of a data driven company? Uh, so if Christian, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this and then I'll open it up for everyone to answer. Yes, I'd love to. I think it's uh, my question is trying to peek into the engine room of uh, my peers on, on what has, you know, retrospectively made it work while it was not something we thought in the beginning. I think it can both point back to the uh, to the culture and it can also point back to the second question from Rasmus with the, you know, how to transform the data. But it's one of those things where, and I have a couple of uh, points as well that I, that I might share, where it's, you know, some things actually end up making this happen. We might have a great business plan, we have a strategy, we have some data points that needs to happen and let's kick it off. And then it strands until a certain process carries it along. Um, and I think from, from my perspective, it's one of those weird things where you'll have you'll have certain people in your organization who will find that it, it works or it, all of a sudden it makes sense. So it's that little experience of, um, how do you say it, I, I, I can actually see how this applies to my situation, uh, whether or not it's, you know, a marketing campaign or it's, you know, analyzing a certain data set or being very practical and, and presenting a, an example, an educational material and saying, well, this is what we can achieve. And then when those seeds are planted in the organization, a few people starts to actually want it because now it helps me. So it becomes an almost egoistic approach. Then I've saw, uh, seen those as success criteria where it doesn't matter how much uh, data we throw at it or how many data engineers we have, unless we have those people who actually want to realize it. Um, so that's that's how I first uh, first thought about it. But I'd love to hear um, your perspective. Let's uh, let's start with you, Rasmus. Yeah, I, th I think. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's like a one size fits all answer to that question. Uh, I, I I definitely I've I've seen a lot of companies where it's about the culture, as you say, right? That they simply don't. Um, I mean that in terms of 
uh, it's like a, a tip of the iceberg thing, right? They 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 see this as such so far fetched that they they and they need to fix all the all the 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 stuff in the engine room before before any of that can happen, right? It's not like they don't see the solution or understand the solution. They just say that, well, you know, uh, so many other things needs to happen. So I don't have I don't have the necessary capacity, and I don't have the strategy in the company to, from a leadership perspective, to actually go ahead with it. Uh, so, so definitely, that's a, that's an issue. I think the next issue is around um, the necessary components and infrastructure and architecture uh, to be able to uh, to work with these things, right? So, so if you are very sort of a, a company working with uh, uh, you know uh, older technologies, then it becomes more difficult for you to sort of propel yourself into the new wild world of cloud computing and uh, Docker containers and Kubernetes and so on. And then the last one is uh, is I would say around the skills of the of the of the of the technical the data science teams the data engineers that are working with this, and and uh, who it is that you you onboard in the company that can propel this uh, the, the projects right, and I think I've, I've seen all all three sort of being uh, being uh, major obstructions to uh, to companies trying to to be more data driven. Um, uh, yeah, Marina, over to you. Yeah, oh, I completely agree uh, with what you just said. Um, I think that the the um, uh, my experience is that, uh, and, and that applies to actually many different types of business models. But uh, that you have to walk before you run, and uh, you have to make it understandable what you're trying to do. Uh, and that's like so cliche to say, but that's uh, that's the basic uh, um, A to Z uh, of business, I think, and it applies as well to data-driven companies. If you want to get buy-in, you have to uh, uh, to show that it to, to to show that that it works and that it delivers results, and you have to make it understandable for the whole organization. And uh, so, I'm, I'm, maybe my background. Um, um, uh, is my my own bias that I, I think the people in the organization are actually the one who are going to make it and no matter which background they have they are data or not data um, I, I think that basically you have to take one small step at a time and then make it work and iterate and it's basically the same as working with data or working with coding you just have to iterate and uh, not look at be becoming a unicorn before you have actually scaled and you know made a little um, uh, increase your revenue in Q1, you know. <laughs> so I think you just have to take baby steps until these baby steps add up to be uh, giant steps. But um, I think the baby steps are, are required to make everything understandable, give a sense of progress as well. So. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's great. And I now hearing from both your answers, I got a little bit of uh, my original question back in the frame of mind. I think the heat is getting to me. Um, <laughs> but. The, the underlying was actually also the whole, I thought, and when I look back at our journey and a lot of other startups or companies I've, I've talked with, it's that whole thing where we've, we've always been, if we do it right, data-driven in some sense, because we are all you know, processing information and taking the best idea we can and guess. And the very beginning, it's a, you know, it's a business model canvas or an idea or where, however it starts, or you know, my personal need is solved, and then I take it from there. But then it's that whole, we need to change at some point because we go from a hunch that is based on human, you know, data-driven processing of what we have and what we do. But it is then also supposed to change from a founder's vision to a company's data collection to the processing. And those steps need to come. So it's kind of understanding that we'll actually do the same, and but we shouldn't trust one word. Now we should trust multiple words. And now we should trust the data. And now we should trust the customers. And now we should trust the investors or whatever it is, because that are that would be the most valid data points throughout the journey. Um, so that's also uh, my second question was actually, and maybe you guys can, can add to that, is how you then frame these uh, under uh, overlooked success criteria to get the adoption in modern organizations. And my idea is, was, you know, how do you make sure that these things are actually adopted, um, the success criteria? Maybe Rasmus, you look confused. Uh, yeah, do you think I'm, I'm that's thinking, a right? Uh, <laughs> I, I think it depends a lot on the maturity of the company and and what kind of uh, you know are you a, st a startup a scale up uh, uh, you know a medium uh, large company right there's a there's a huge difference uh, in and I think you need to apply it uh, you know in in probably the right way right I, for example when we started out we didn't have any sort of uh, 
uh, you know, uh, usage monitoring of the applications on the software we were developing, right? So we didn't know how the customers were actually adapting the software, right? And 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 those things we are sort of collect or you know collecting now, right? And and then providing that for sort of the value based, uh, you know, actually being able to to analyze the user's behavior around the systems and being able to say, well, this button was clicked, uh, you know, five thousand times more than this button, so perhaps we should work with more with this button. So kind of those kind of areas, I, I definitely believe, at least looking looking at, at our own company on on that you should probably apply it in the in the in the sense or in the places where it makes sense uh, and it's sort of a uh, you know easy to uh, easy to work with. Um, yeah. So so that's uh, yeah. Maybe Malini, you want to take over? Yeah, I, I was um, uh, thinking as well about um, um, that. Basically, when, when you actually um, um, implement a, a, a data-driven business model and it works and you manage to scale it up, um, then uh, you get a much, dif much bigger organization, a different organization. And um, sometimes maybe, and I've seen that in like larger scale-ups, that sometimes uh, there is a tendency to put in um, um, heavy processes or rely too much, again, rely completely on the data. but forget that people need buying at all the small baby steps on the way, uh, even when you are getting to unicorn level. Uh, and, and I think that's uh, even though a, a company can scale up with data and succeed very well, um, maybe they are creating different uh, problems in the organization, which are more on the human kind of problems. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and, and also keeping this attitude, which I think uh, many, many startups have at the beginning when they work with data, um, that um, uh, to be humble with the data, um, you have to keep being humble with the data even when you have the gazillion um, data points and that your organization is growing and has growing, you know, uh, pains. Um, so I think that's keeping, maybe keeping that mindset from the beginning up to when you are a big organization, that's maybe a, a something that that um, uh, companies scaling up need to, to, to keep in mind that, uh, it's still, uh, well, it's, it's like it's like a uh, you know it's like a, a a match. It's one point at a time, even when you're super big. <laughs> so uh, I I I I think that's uh, that's something to keep in mind. Um, that's what that's what I was echoing uh, what you were saying basically. Um, yeah, if it makes sense. <laughs> Definitely does. Uh, I think I got my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lovely. Well, um, yeah, I'm just thinking now we've got one uh, time for one last quick question uh, that was from Christian as well. Um, so how do you recommend framing and working with them um, for better understanding and um, adoption in modern organisations? Um, so if you'd like to um, give a bit of background behind that as well, Christian. Yes, of course. Uh, I think we touched a little bit upon it, but uh, we can maybe round it up with the summaries around all our questions um, and for my side it's the whole i think the cultural uh, perspective from Malina from the beginning i'm stealing your question as, a, as my answer <laughs> but the point here is if you don't get the culture with you if both in understanding but also acceptance on the possibilities but all limit also the limitations then you won't be able to achieve anything data-driven no matter how many powerpoint presentations or uh, great initiatives you start so so i think that's the success both from my question but also for the other ones um, and then i'll throw the ball, ball to the next yeah i guess from, from my side i i, I see um i see a number of challenges in the in the in the culture uh so so one of them is this reluctance uh see towards picking up on new solutions so that's i mean it's like all, all companies they they or all employees that are a little bit uh, difficult when it comes to change, right? So change needs to be, uh, it needs to have the right leadership. And that's also why I always say when, when I, I'm, you know, talking to somebody around AI and stuff like that, that, you know, it's not just the data science or the data engineers that are building the solution. It needs to be, it's a, it's a, it needs to be across the, the company or there needs to be some project managers, some business people, uh, some, you know, uh, QA quality assurance and some end users, obviously, and so on. So all of these things needs to collaborate in in uh, in uh, in a harmonious way in order for it to to succeed. And I think there's also, especially in the end user side, there's this reluctancy sometimes to 
pick up a new system or to acknowledge that, well, now I used to do this, but now I need to do this instead, which makes me much more efficient. And the example being, uh, you know, the truck driver that might uh, exist today, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the truck driver will also uh, exist in, in, in 50 years from now, who just not drive one truck, he'll drive 10, 10, 10 trucks in, in, at the same time, right? So, so I think in that sense, it's just a question of acknowledging that, uh, you know, using this data, using the data-driven methodology, using AI and machine learning, we can get we can be much more efficient than we were before, and then it might change some of our job descriptions and the way we uh, we uh, we work uh, on a day-to-day on -day basis. But if I'm sort of uh, if I'm able to change my mindset. And uh, I have uh, I have uh, some some good leaderships that, uh, good leadership that is able to to guide the company through it. Then you can end up in a much better place. And I think that's uh, that's an important aspect of, of these new technologies, right? Is is the ability to provide the necessary leadership, and also the acceptance of the end users. And if, if we and that actually comes down back to the some of the original original discussions around training and education. So you sort of keep training and keep educating yourself. Then it's also much easier for you to apply this in, in your life. Over to you, Malin. Yeah, I completely agree, and I I, I completely agree with the the, uh, the the fact that you are um, uh, stressing the importance of leadership. I really think it's it's really uh, it's really key here. But I, I would say uh, that um, I, I would say that there are three key 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 points. Uh, uh, would be my summary. Would be that you you somehow you have to be humble. Um, uh, towards the data um, and the uh, uh, accepting that the data will tell you what you want the data to tell you, and maybe it won't <laughs> tell you what you want to hear. But I think that's quite important, and I think you have to be versatile. Uh, as you said, uh, you have to keep up to date. Um, um, technology evolves all the time, and um, it requires um, um, basically a listening organization. Uh, so I think to be to, to, to be able to be a, a really successful data-driven organization, basically you have to be a more human organization, uh, would be my, my, my hunch actually. And I think then the, the, the last one would be uh, that data should be demystified, uh, that um, ba basically uh, data is your new colleague, it's a great colleague, uh, it will make the business much better, <laughs> so that's good for you. Uh, so... so um, um, I, I, I think it should be, as you said uh, initially, Rasmus, that uh, uh, the silos that we've had in all org all organization types all the time, maybe it's just time to um, uh, to get some help from data to just like uh, break them down because they are uh, they won't be useful. Data should be uh, sitting next to every person in the company, basically. That's that would be my 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 answer to your question and, and summary. <laughs> Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for um, for your words today and also uh, your quick summaries there as well. Um, and thank you, everyone, that's still listening as well to the podcast. <laughs>